We have a new sponsor here at In The Money Media. Wanted to tell you about it's Cut, K-U-T-T. This is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's legal in 37 states plus D.C. where you can bet on sports, politics, and pop culture. Cut handles the payment side of things so you never have to chase anyone down for money. Tons of social features, group chats, betting leaderboards, much, much more. Cut, the social betting platform that lets you put your money where your mouth is. Check it out, kutt.com. And right now we've got a special offer for In The Money Media listeners, a 10% deposit bonus up to 100 in credits when you use our promo code In The Money. Check it out now, cut.com, In The Money. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Monday, what is it? Monday, April 24th. I almost said 27th. I'm glad I checked. That's because I'm dealing with an illness. It's called Derby Fever. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again and joined by a man who we haven't had on in a couple of weeks and very excited to have him back here. His thoughts, maybe you could say his way too early predictions for this year's Kentucky Derby. He's coming to us from Saratoga Springs. Jonathan Kinchin, what's up? PTM, it's a little chilly up here. I was in Austin yesterday, and it was a little bit better weather. So I'm just, my body just, I, basically, I just don't know what to put on. My clothes <laughs> situation, I just, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. Um, it's not but yeah, it's, it, 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 it is around the corner. And, and uh, you know, I, I, the last few years, I've really tried to keep my head down leading up to the Derby. Because I, like I've said before on these airwaves, I've, I used to do this thing where I would get so excited about the Derby that I would create all of these opinions that were hard to shake when I gathered information that needed to then shake them. And so I, I, it's something I've done as of late. I obviously pay attention to the prep races. Um, I even try, sometimes I found myself, I, I I try, I find myself like not even trying to look at the figures after, like I had to look to see what Forte ran just now before we did the show. Cause I never really looked to see what he ran in the Florida Derby because I, I kind of didn't want to know yet, um, and 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 that's because I'm a huge believer in the workouts. There's so many people that are that are smart that are watching these horses work, and you can watch all the works. There's a lot of different opinions about the works. All the trainers are seeing the works. All the people that know horse flesh are seeing the works. So you can really gather a lot of good information in those last, you know, this week, last week, the last couple of works. And, and that's what I like to kind of use as my, my most important thing. Animal Kingdom, I found because of works. American Pharaoh, I, I locked on because of works. And, and uh, uh, Rachel Alexander, who didn't run in the Derby, obviously, but locked on because of works. They, they, can, they can really lead you, Barbro, they can really lead you down the right path. And so I kind of reserve full judgment until then. Orb was another one um, that works helped with. Uh, it didn't it didn't end up helping us on the day but uh the horse the brad cox horse that was eventually uh put up to be the the derby winner in the in the stewards room uh well not the stewards room that whole saga but anyway another horse that had uh had terrific workouts the week up um was second for paramutual purposes you can you can find a lot when it comes to the workouts and just to give you a little bit of an idea about our process here 
we're going to have tons more, including our final answer show, which is where, you know, if you're kind of, you think we're sitting on the fence here at all, et cetera, don't worry. We're going to get to those final answers and we're going to do it live. That's going to be on May 3rd in Lexington. Tickets are on sale now for that event done with our friends at TaylorMade, going to be at the, the Malone's Event Center in Palomar. We're also going to be live and you can buy tickets for Louisville in, on Thursday in at the Galt House. And best way to get all the info and links to sign up for our live events, because there's more of them too. We're like a rock band uh, going around Kentucky Derby Week. Just sign up for our free email newsletter. There'll be links there at the end of the week in themoneypodcast.com slash email. So let's get to it though, in terms of these way too early Kentucky Derby predictions, JK. And we'll let, uh, we'll let you go first. What's your first way too early Kentucky Derby prediction? Yeah. I mean, I, I think Todd's going to win the Derby. Um, and I am not like everyone who believes that it's a foregone conclusion that it's going to be Forte. I mean, I, you know, I, I think Tappet Trice is also interesting. So I'll, I'll start with Forte. And, and, and when I talk about this, the figures, um, Forte willed that win the other day. Um, he did not have a good trip. He showed his class. He showed um, his determination. But I, I, I have to be honest when I look at it is that, you know, I, I thought Forte couldn't lose the Fountain of Youth and I thought he couldn't lose the Florida Derby. Not because he was so dominant, but that he was dominant over the group in which he was running against. And he, he's, he's not doing what some of these big derby favorites do, which is running these triple digit numbers and really in, 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 in wowing you from the clock. And I think that if you're looking at it objectively, considering all of those things, you'd have to consider him to be at least vulnerable. Um, I don't envision a world in which I play tickets trying to beat Forte. I don't, I don't, I don't see myself trying to get cute and tossing Forte. But what I don't see myself doing is what I've done with horses like American Pharaoh and Justify, where ice cold, nothing else, no backups, no one else, just those horses. I, I, I don't feel like Forte is 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 that type. Tapa Trice, on the other hand. Who, who I do think is, is more of a kind of a press type. I think there'll probably be a little bit more value with horses like Forte taking a lot of the money. Tappet Trice did run a fast number in uh, the bluegrass. Tappet Trice is uh, the type of horse that has the type of pedigree that you'd think, oh, he's going to keep taking steps forward. He is the type of horse that when you look at his pedigree and you look at, at, at him and his training and the way that he runs, he's going to love the mile and a quarter. I love how close he was last time in the bluegrass considering his other starts. He seems like a horse that's trending in the right direction. And, and I think Tappet Trice is going to offer some real value. So I, I know Todd's got a few others, but those are the two that, uh, that I think are the most likely to get their picture taken in the first Saturday in May. Very interesting. So we sort of wrapped two predictions into one there for you that uh, Todd Pletcher is going to win. And it's not necessarily with the, the horse who's at the top of the market. Maybe Tappet Trice, currently second in the market, is one you're interested in. Well, I'll piggyback off what you were saying about Forte and the Florida Derby by giving you a horse. And we're going to hear a lot more about this horse later in the show if you're listening to the audio. And there'll be a whole separate YouTube video if you're watching on YouTube. Um, and that is that I think Mage is a very live long shot to win. And this is just your most basic form study handicapping angle that I'm going to give you on this one. Yes, you could argue that, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on the show, you could argue the trips in the Florida Derby between Mage and Forte and, and who had the harder one. 
I think you can really argue that either way. In the end, Forte prevailed by a length. And I'm not necessarily saying that it's the trips that are going to make the difference coming back in the Derby. But I will say this. Mage, to me, you know, he misses the kick in the Florida Derby. He makes this menacing move going from basically last to first in a very short amount of time. He ran very inefficiently. Forte also was out of position. He absolutely showed his class. But to me, when I look at these two horses, the argument I want to make for Mage over Forte is simply that, you know, Forte is a, is a fully formed product at this point, a multiple grade one winner, a champion. Mage is an up-and-comer. I mean, this horse has had three starts, and he's had a very tough go of things, both in terms of the assignment and the specifics of the trip and being out of position in those two stakes efforts. So I just think it's very easy to pump some blue sky and potential improvement into Mage. But here's the main thing for me, JK. You look at the prices of these two individuals internationally, um, very largely Forte, five to two. Granted, I think he'll be longer than that on the day, maybe depending on what the Mattress Mac decides to do in this race. But meanwhile, Mage, 25 to one. I don't think that that length of difference, especially given the individual trajectories of these two horses, I don't think one should be five to two and the other should be 25 to one. Comment on my thought of Mage as a live long shot. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, you can't argue with the logic of the price difference, right? Um, I think that my issue kind of goes back to what my issue is with Forte is that, you know, who are they facing in the Florida Derby? And why do these numbers keep not really breaking that century mark? And those, that's, that, that's you know, this, it's basically the same answer I have for Forte. Sure, I, I don't have an issue that Mage can win. Um, but of the two of them, Mage is going to be a much better price. I do think that Forte is a better animal. I think he's a a, uh, a, a more – Yeah, he's a more proven animal. He's got class. He's been doing it at a high level for quite some time at lots of different racetracks, lots of different distances. So that that would be the the one – I'm not going to talk anyone off of a horse like Mage, um, but he's not a horse that I necessarily need to, like, make sure I have as an A type in, in my pick six. Let's go back to Tapatrice for a minute, the horse that it sounds to me like at this point, and you have license to change your mind, but the, the, the real way you're, you're leaning in this race, you talked a little bit about the bluegrass. I think he also stamped himself as a really interesting horse with that run in the Tampa Bay Derby. And that's a race that's produced really good form with three winners to come out of it. You know, he was nowhere halfway through that race and ends up winning, looking like he's got uh, something in, in hand. What is it about him that you're so attracted to is it more what you're expecting from him at the mile and a quarter is it more just the overall trajectory he's on i just want a little bit more on tap of trice from you yeah you know i mean i think it's just like one of those deals like where you know you, 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 you let's think uh let's think college football or or and you have a, a really talented uh well pedigreed six five four four quarterback that goes to alabama and he's surrounded by good players. Okay, you got Luis Saez, you got Todd Pletcher. Uh, he's he's being coached by by a, a great with with a good offensive staff. He's going to have all of the resources, uh, a staff that knows how to develop players, knows how to to win championships. And he plays well in his first game, in his second game, in his third game. You got to think he's going to continue to to go on and improve. That's kind of how I feel about Tapping Trice. He just he's surrounded by all of the things that you need in order to continue to take steps forward. 
and he's shown a bunch of raw ability, a bunch of raw talent. And 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 now he's 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 facing a defense that that kind of fits what he does well, which is going a mile and a quarter on the dirt, um, going against a bunch of other horses that probably don't want to go that far. He, he just got, he checks all of the boxes for a horse to take another step forward. Um, if he was trained by Jimmy McWilliams, who's a 12% trainer and, 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 you know, like then, then you could, you could question whether or not he's going to take another step forward. But when he's trained by a hall of famer and, and, and Todd Pletcher and, and arguably one of the greatest dirt trainers ever, you got to think he's going to take that step. Let's talk about my second prediction. I think this is going to finally be the year JK where we see a Japanese horse hit the board we have another video up that folks should check out um, talking about the entirety of the Japanese contingent and some wise guy cases made for continue are in that spot. And this, in this prediction, I will keep him on side as one that could potentially outrun the odds and, and hit the frame, but it's Derma Sotagake. I'm really interested in from a figure point of view, from a horse with tactical speed, but who we also know can pass horses and I like the fact that uh, Christophe Lemaire has the experience in this race last year. I don't see him getting hooked up in any kind of speed duel this time around. I think if somebody else wants to go, he'll sit, he'll get the right kind of trip. And he is the rare, one of the rare horses in this crop who's shown that ability to run a triple digit figure going on what our expert uh, pals say he ran in Dubai, including uh, Rob Dove, one of the top 10 pro punters in the UK today. I think this could finally be the year where, uh, where, where they get one on the board. I feel like this contingent of Japanese horses is just lengths faster than what we've seen. And we've seen them fire before in this race, but I, I think we might see something different this time around. Are you open to giving the Japanese runners a shot? Absolutely. I mean, the success that they've had in, in, in international racing, you have to pay attention to what they're doing. Um, I like that they've been here. Um, I don't know which one it was today. I saw one of them. You'll probably be over. One of them went out to work on the track at like 6.50 and was still out there at 8.15. Just like was just hanging out out there, just getting acclimated. <laughs> you don't, We don't see that very often. They're usually out there for 12 minutes and then they're back in their barn. So I thought that was interesting. But uh, yeah, I, and the, the point that you mentioned as we dig a little deeper you know, I'll, I'll check in with Sean Borman. I'll check in with Paul Matisse also to just kind of, hey, did, did you guys make a figure for that horse? I remember Paul made a figure for Thunder Snow um, that he really liked. And I know I remember Duke was alive to Thunder Snow for like $2 million in the pick six. Yep. Thunder Snow obviously had the issue and, 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 and didn't finish the race, but he ended up turning out to be a good horse. So that figure was correct that they, that they had had. So um, I've got no problem getting cute and interesting in that situation. Like I said, there's interesting horses there's not huge number standouts. And, and, and that's one of the things that's never really let me down in, in the Kentucky Derby is, 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 uh, is those numbers. We'll do my third one very quick. Oh, I will point out, we will have Paul and Sean, hopefully this week doing an analysis, another analysis of the key preps, looking back at figures and certainly we'll talk about, I don't know if either of them have made figures, but knowing them, at least one of them will have a figure to bring to the party to go with Dove's uh, 103 in that spot. My third prediction really quick. I think uh, as much as I respect Todd Pletcher and specifically his contingent in the Derby this year, Kings Barnes is a fade for me. Just looking at the way that that race flowed. I thought he was totally with the flow. Didn't finish up fast enough for me to be like an always dreaming or a maximum security. Those horses had favorable flows too, but they finished up in ways that hinted at larger ability. I think Kings Barnes, if he wants to be forward, he's going to have to run so much faster than he has in the past. I think it could take the sting out of his finish 
are you as interested when, you know, you mentioned about Pletcher winning. I'm sure you're happy to keep Kings Barnes on side in that prediction, but is he a horse? Do you have any particular feeling about one way or the other? And then let's get to your live long shot slash third prediction. No, I mean, you know, it needs to be a little bit faster. One thing I will say is with the Louisiana Derby switching to a mile in three sixteenths, I think that that kind of checks one box for horses that they can handle the distance. Um, and, and not that you were worried about Todd's horses getting distance anyways on the dirt, something that, that he does extremely well. But I at least think that you could have that comforting comforting fact. You know, a horse I think be beautiful to use in like fourth and third, right? You know, a horse that you know that's going to get around there while the other ones are stopping. He'll keep kind of plugging along. But uh, I don't see him as a win type based off of that figure. All right, let's get to your live long shot slash third prediction as we get ready to uh, wrap up this segment of the show. I will point out, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, give us your bold prediction, your way too early prediction for the Kentucky Derby. Drop that in the comments so we can uh, see what some other people are thinking as far as this race goes. Hit me with your uh, third yeah, prediction. I'm going I'm to give you kind of a 2B and a 3, right? My, my 2B that we kind of I kind of didn't say is that, you know, I, I felt like with Todd, that his kind of second horse was the one that was the most interesting. I think the same thing about Brad Cox and it's all because I like the bluegrass. So this is all a con- connected uh, opinion. I think verifying, I think would be his kind of live more live choice than angel of empire. Who's higher than verifying mm-hmm. on the points list. But I think my third prediction is, is, uh, you know, look, I, I think the drought's likely to continue for, for hall of famer, Steve Asmussen, but I do think that this arm uh, could run well in here. I, you know, Steve's not the type of person who, you know, needs to just put this horse in here. And the connections aren't those type to just throw this horse in there. Um, I think Steve thinks this horse is going to have a big rest of the year. So why not target the Preakness? Why not, you know, wait for the Belmont or kind of plan more of a back-end summer campaign with with a Haskell or a Jim Dandy or a, or a, or a, a Travers? And, and the fact that they're going to bring this horse back says a lot about how I think that he thinks this horse has ability. And... Um, I wanted to see a little more from him the other day, but there are, I can see the case, you know, with the, uh, that this fluky thing of Steve Asmussen, you know, one of the greatest, obviously, but he hasn't, doesn't typically do his best work at Keeneland. And then the idea that maybe they were really in there, you know, playing chess and, and being ahead of the game and saying, you know what, let's just run in the money and then, you know, turn the screws for the Derby. I mean, is that, is that a part of your case for disarm as a live long shot? You know, I, if I'm being honest, I think that that's, I, I think that that's like, I think that's a, that's a wild plan. I, I, you know, I think yeah, that he was probably in there trying to win. I think he was in there trying to win. I think that it's a contingency though, that like if, well, if we don't win, you know, we hit, we run third and here we go. Um, I just feel like he's the type of horse that can make some noise, you know, just make some noise. I, I don't, like I said, I don't think he's a winner, but I do think he's a, you look up and you see disarms number running second or running third are running fourth significantly uh, worse horses have run second, third and fourth in Kentucky Derby. All right. Great stuff, JK. Appreciate you. We're going to have you back a whole bunch. We got our monster pods. They'll be dropping early next week as well. We'll have, we won't do that production meeting in the middle of the show. We'll, uh, we'll chat about that after we, uh, we get off air here, but uh, those are going to be coming down the pike and just lots of great stuff. So keep it locked to in the money if you want even more, we got our plus service in the moneypodcast.com slash plus. And then the free newsletter, again, the best way to check out our live events in the moneypodcast.com slash email. I also want to shout out this fancy new shirt I'm wearing, JK, part of the uh, the JK collection from Old Smoke Clothing, oldsmokeclothing.com slash JK. The two new derby shirts are 
are really, really cool. And I'm uh, happy to be wearing them on, on a bunch of our programming here. Where can folks uh, get these? Uh, that one, we, that one we do have. So uh, I think that one, yes, yes. yes. The horseshoes. Yeah, slash JK. And then we also have the, the, the kind of abstract rose looking one. And yes. then the Derby will be selling them at, at on location. Not, not that one. They have a special one that they got. It's kind of like the, 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 the rose abstract one that we have on the website, but it also has like a lily in it as well. So it's kind of a oh, Derby cool. Oaks. Yeah, it's a cool shirt. I've got to complete the collection. I've got the ones from last year. You know, I love all the stuff and uh, it's great having you on and, and look forward to hanging out more soon and doing these live events coming up as well. All right. So uh, keep it locked here and uh, we'll be back right after this. As you probably know already, we're super excited to be partnered with Naira for the rest of 2023, where we are featuring Saturday racing coverage each week on the Players Podcast, as well as daily write-ups and analysis over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Also, be sure to look for our picks on the Naira website under the Picks, Plays, and Promotions tab. Lots of good info there as well. Lastly, make sure you don't miss out on America's Day at the Races coverage. You can get the full schedule over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash TV. Check out Acacia, Maggie, JK, and the rest of the team on America's Day at the Races. Once again, best place to get that schedule, InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash TV. The music back there. Yeah, the vinyl, man. This is how we roll here in the bunker. That is legit. <laughs> Untouchable. <laughs> We're rocking and rolling with Ramiro Restrepo. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital. Very excited to talk about a horse that I think is one of the most interesting of the crop. Uh, live long shot, to say the least, in the Kentucky Derby. Ramiro, how are things? Pete, what's up, brother? How's everything, man? Things are good. Let's start off with this horse. Uh, when did you first come to uh, to be aware of him? How did he come to you? Sure. You know, obviously, I have a role with Facing Tipton. So I'm at the, the Timonium two-year-old sale every year, clearly. Um but at the same time, uh, Gustavo Delgado Jr. and I, we've been both trying to raise our profile, uh, you know, in his department as a trainer and in, and in mine as a bloodstock agent. So we've been working sales the last couple of years together, about three years together, uh, buying horses and creating, you know, partnerships, racing partnerships. And um, we worked the sale pretty hard and the horse had an amazing breeze. I think that's the first thing that caught our attention. The breeze itself, the gallop out times was, was was quite impressive. But I don't know what many people know this, but Hijazi, who's another grade one placed horse, sure. was not only at the same sale, but at the same consignment as Mage. So Becky Thomas, uh, sequel, uh, Thoroughbreds, had two nice horses in their barn at the same time at the same sale. So, and they had really similar breezes time-wise. Um, I think the only difference you could probably say is Mage didn't switch leads until the turn into the gallop out on the backstretch while Hijazi had the traditional switch leads at the eighth pole and, and maybe the video was a, t- a touch prettier, but it was probably split in hairs for a lot of the, you know, people at the sale purchasing horses. And that horse was by Bernardini, where by Good Magic, which is, was unproven at the time. Uh, but we really fell in love with, with, with the work. Uh, that was like the initial reason he, be, he was on our short list. Then we worked the barns and, you know, uh, I, I'm, I never worked on a, on a, on a farm. I never worked for bloodstock agents and let's say interning, uh, through anyone. So I'm, um, 
whether other than family, I was also I, I go to the farms in Kentucky a lot and look at these stallions. You know, we, we look at thousands of horses at the sales that most of them don't go on to have the success. But at the, you go to the stallions in Kentucky, you'll see all the ones that won all the big races that we're trying to buy. Oh, so yeah. I love to see uh, stallions and the tendencies physically and temperament wise that maybe they pass on to their kids. And brother mage is a clone of good magic. I mean, I mean, it is scary, uh, like down to the whisker on their nose. I mean, they are, their, 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 their attitude, the way that they, they, that they stand, the presence that they command, the way that they, the way that they move. If you even go back and look at good magic's races, they have the same action. I mean, it's pretty, I mean, it was pretty apparent, um, to us and that really, you know, solidified things for us. So the, the horse was purchased at Timonium, Maryland, and uh, uh, it's amazing the ride that he's taken us so far. Let me zoom out for a minute, Ramiro, because because this is Kentucky Derby, we've got a lot of people here who might not understand the significance of some of the things that we're saying. Let's, ah. go, back, let's go back first to Hijazi and the ultimate sale prices of these two horses out of Timonium. And then I want to talk about how terrific Good Magic was as a racehorse so people will fully understand the significance of that. But let's start with, the, with what happened at the sale with, the, with Hijazi and Mage. Right. Well, Hajazi went first in the sale. He went for a little over $3 million. So uh, he was he was a sale topper. I mean, he was a, a super impressive horse and and has gone on to do really nice things on the racetrack. So, um, you know, the, the, the horse is a very talented animal. We were much later on in the sale. We were one of the last horses uh, to be sold uh, of the Timonium sale. Um, the colt went into the ring and we kind of had a a pre-established budget of, you know, 200,000 that we were looking to spend. And when that number, you know, reached, reached its limit there on the, on the board, I was, you know, starting to have a little hesitation because we now have to, you have to understand when you're bidding, it's much like an NFL quarterback. When you take the snap (laughs) and the blitz is coming at you, you have seconds to decide what's the defense what am I going to do and who, who do I throw the ball to or, or what's my decision going to be? So all these things are going to your head when the number that you've reached is on the board and you have to decide where to keep bidding or not. I mean, you have a split second before the hammer falls and you lose the horse. And, and at that very moment, so many things were going on, but more than anything, Gustavo Jr. started just chirping at me. Do not stop. Do not stop. Go, 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 go. <laughs> and... You know, all that came in at once. You know, we looked at the horse and it was like, look, we love the horse. And I think those are those, that, that split second factors. We loved him. And Gustavo said, F it, you know, <laughs> just go. So we kept going another $90,000 above above our budget. And uh, we got him for two for two ninety. And uh, it was just awesome to be able to have the backing of, of uh two new partners that we brought in, which is uh, Sam Herzberg of Sterling Racing and uh, Chase Chamberlain and Brian Dockstader of uh, Commonwealth. Sure, sure. I met, the- met Chase many times at the racetrack. The Commonwealth operation is really cool and something people should uh, should be checking out as well. So that that gave you the ability to to stretch a little bit. And, and now here you are on the Kentucky Derby Trail. Not too bad. Right. It's crazy how these things uh, turn out. You know, these stories... Uh, it's it's hard to say you you know you can't plan for them things happen organically uh can't say we were thinking Kentucky Derby from the day of that sale 
but you know, you, you do your best to try to find the nice sale horse. I mean, that's what we're, we're there busting our butt, you know, looking at hundreds of horses, looking, you know, to, to identify talent, but um, you know, you, you do your best, but you know, you never think, Oh, we're going to have a Kentucky Derby contender. I mean, uh, you just think you bought a really nice horse and you're hoping that everything uh, works out for the best. And, and uh, it's amazing where, 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 where this ride's a, uh, or this rice where this ride's gone so far. And you mentioned about good magic. So this was a horse who was talented enough to win the biggest two-year-old race, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Huge run himself in the Kentucky Derby. Following in those footsteps, you know, the, the, the sky certainly seems like the limit for Mage. I was with you the day he won his maiden. It was Pegasus Day. Right. And I talked to you in the intervening moments. You, I mean, you know, you and I were good friends. We've hung out a million times. You, your mind was like a million miles away. I could just tell you were like trying to process what just happened. Can I take that to mean that you were a bit surprised by how good he was so fast? You know, um, Gustavo is not, is not known for cranking up babies to have them fully cranked up bullet, bullet, bullet breeze for their first time out. Uh, we knew he had talent because he had shown it in some of his workouts and his temperament was always, just cool hand Luke, you know? Um, and I think the first thing when the condition books came out was, was let's pick an easy spot to debut. And, you know, Gustavo senior was like, no, we're going to the Pegasus. And I'm like, we've debuted two babies before on previous Pegasus and gotten drilled because <laughs> everybody wants to, you know, a high profile the whole industry is there. Everybody's so, there. Yeah. All maiden races are not created equal. No. And on those big days, a maiden race can almost be like a maiden stake because so many eyes are on it. And yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be a tough spot typically. Oh my goodness. And, 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 you know, everybody wants to shine on that big day. Everyone's going to bring their best, you know, cold forward to, 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 you know, make a splashy debut. And, you know, knowing that the horse wasn't, you know, worked um, to the extreme, it was like, well, hopefully we put in a good run and to win in the fashion that he did, which was gun, you know, basically get out of there clear and just wire them and keep on going uh, in that fashion left us all like just shocked. And, you know, to comment on the quality of the field uh, perform that ran fourth in there, came back to win the Federico Tessio yep. with, with uh, Fergal for Chris, with Chris Pippino, our, our buddy. Uh, Bourbon Resolve came back to win uh, made in special weight in his next race at Keeneland uh, a couple weeks ago. So it's been a productive uh, form, a, a productive maiden for sure. Um, but yeah, Pete, when you saw me, I was still just in shock, you know, it's on a, you're on a big day like that and, and, and you win at 11 to one and we all put a couple dollars on him. Um, how can you not be doing cartwheels? Subsequently, he's run very well. You know, maybe uh, not breaking quite as well as on that on that first day on occasion. What do you think his running style will ultimately be? Where would you like to see him placed in the Kentucky Derby? Right. Uh, I think the the really nice thing to have is that uh, on any horse is that their mind allows them to settle. It, it it opens up that versatility to be able to place them wherever the jockey feels comfortable. We don't need to pressure and use the horse to uh, be towards the front of the pack. And at the same time, if there are traffic troubles, which a 20 horse field can lead to, or if there's any uh, challenges that encounter themselves, the horse can settle himself and find 
put himself in a good rhythm. Uh, knowing that the, there's not that crazy amount of pace in the race, I think we have the Japanese horse, Derma, um, Sota, Sotosaki, Sotagaki. Uh, um, Jace's Road is in the race, and he's shown some speed, and I know verifying is forwardy place. So knowing that the speed isn't, you know, there, there's no uh, crazy front-end speed, it would be lovely to be sitting, you know, anywhere, you know, fifth through eighth, fifth through seventh in that, uh, just outside that front flight, you know, within a couple lengths. It, it would be lovely, but at the same time, uh, he's got to turn a foot uh, that's pretty electric. Uh, he settles, so he's got, and he's gotten plenty of foundation. You know, Gustavo's a South American trainer, puts a lot of gallop, gallops into his workouts, so fitness and 10 furlongs isn't a concern. It's just a matter of, you know, getting the creases when it's time to go that you're able to, you know, not, you know, make a, a, a consistent run, avoiding traffic and, you know, being able to, to give your full effort without having to stop, start, stop, start, which, you know, can happen in a, in a, in a, in a big field. Where do you think he is mentally now compared to where he was for the, for the previous races? I mean, he, to me has demonstrated a lot of, uh, a lot of toughness to be able to handle what's been, you know, put his way, a tough maiden, then right into a good effort in a, in a stakes race. And then what I thought was a really terrific effort in the Florida Derby, you know, after, uh, after kind of missing the kick, are, are you seeing development from him mentally that, you know, maybe, maybe the pennies dropped and, and he's ready to take the big step forward on numbers that he's going to need to win a race like this? Well, 100%. Um, it's, if you're a horse person, you'll understand this. If you're a casual fan and you're listening, you might think horse people are crazy. <laughs> you might not be wrong about that. We are probably, we are probably crazy. But um, in terms of for, for, for those who are around horses every day, the more you're around them, you know, you will see how they're, 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 they're so human like in their, in their, their um, maturity and the mental progressions that they that they do make uh, as you put him into training and as time goes on. When we got him after the two-year-old sale, you know, he was a stubborn uh, baby who was, you know, tough around the barn and, like, needed to be taught his routine. When he got in, he started breezing, he really enjoyed his work and he enjoyed that kind of uh, regiment daily regimen of, of working, galloping, breezing, and really settled him. And as he's run from maiden to the founder of youth, founder of youth to Pegasus and Pegasus now, the progression in how he carries himself, it's, it's almost, you know, it, you feel like it's like your, your kid because he is so, he is so young and I don't have children. So he is the closest thing, you know, to being around something that, you know, you bought him a year ago and you've seen this progression and just his maturity, the way that he carries himself, uh, nothing bothers him. He's a really old soul. So things like the paddock and crowds and things of that nature does not phase him. He's just a smooth character. And the way that he carries himself uh, around people and in the stall, he's just a, a really he knows that he's a big deal to us. He's got four or five people around him at all times. You know, they it responds to that kind of attention. Um, don't want to say spoiled because he's not, you know, he doesn't show any bratty uh, characteristics, but he is just knows that 
he is something, you know, and, and, and the horses within themselves, you know, in the wild, they're pack animals. So there are alphas and betas and you're always trying to find that alpha that wants to be at the head of the pack and the smart ones know when to go to the head of the pack and win the race. That's why when, you know, people say, Oh, that horse hung. Well, he's a, he's a beta. He doesn't want the lead. He's afraid of being in the lead and he hangs, you know, what you want. And the best thing is as a fan or as a horse player, when the, when the two alphas kind of hook up and they battle it out, it makes for these amazing races. Who's trying to establish that dominance. And he himself carries himself like, like an alpha. And um, it's pretty nice to see um, his maturity in that regard. And we're just hoping all this adds up for a, uh, pretty a, a pretty nice you know display of uh of ability on, on the first saturday in may Pete. i've seen what you're talking about i think on these xbtv videos of him working recently where i think he always was a pretty good workhorse but he does seem to be maybe getting even better and might just be up to a challenge like this what have you thought about those recent pieces of work you know that gustavo's big biggest success in south america was in mile and a quarter, mile and a half races. That's interesting. In America, his his success has been mile and an eighth plus. He won the Clark grade one, mile and an eighth. He was second in the Travers when it was a mile and an eighth. He brought uh, that horse off, an, off, I believe, like an eight-month layoff to run second in the Peter Pan and second in the Travers. He's, he's run twi- uh, three times runner-up in a mile and an eighth Florida Derby. So... These are the races that he excels as in preparation. Uh, I think it's a little known fact about Gustavo that he spent some time in his youth with Lazaro Barrera. Interesting. Uh, who trained the firm yeah. and, learned, and, and picked up a lot of pointers on uh, two-turn races from Lazaro Barrera. Uh, so the, his style of training is conducive to this. And in the end, and any trainer will tell you they need the, the horse to be able to to apply such training to that. And that will take to the training. So um, this horse fits that mold. What about just on his blood? I mean, I know what you're saying in this day and age, especially we've had Brad Cox on these airwaves multiple times saying the pedigree might say a mile and eighth. We train him to get the extra, the extra eighth. Is is that the case with major? Do you think blood wise he, that the mile and a quarter is what he wants? Uh, Peter, I, I think to quote Brad, I mean, and, and to agree with him, excuse me, we don't breed for mile and a quarter horses anymore. And I think that's just something that's quite obvious when you look at stallion rosters and, and uh, you go to the sales and, and um, you look at the physicals. Um, horses are bred to be milers, you know, and, and are, you know, you can argue mile and an eighth, and, and, but you have to train them to get that extra eighth or, or, or that extra quarter for the classics. And then, and over time, if you're a historian, the Jockey Club Gold Cup was a mile and a half, you know, and and and, and that and that's gone down in distance. And the importance of the suburban and the, you know, the uh, the the were all those big the races all were quite one back in the '80s. I you know you should remember these like '80s handicap horses, the suburban and and the Brooklyn and and all these races. Like that's not our focal point anymore. Uh, so when you go to these sales and you you know you see these horses who can carry this speed or turn a foot a distance of ground. He's by good magic. Who was, you know, he won the Haskell in a mile and an eighth. He won the, uh, you know, the Breeders' Cup mile and 16th. He won the Futurity mile and 16th. 
uh, you know, he was fourth in the Preakness, so he is by Curlin, who 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 is a classic horse. On the mother's side, you got Puka. She uh, was great at stakes place at a mile and an eighth. And Big Brown, obviously, you know, could get the, the derby distance. Oh, yeah. And that's his broodmare sire. So, you know, could I say that he's bred for it? I mean, probably as best as you can possibly hope for, you know. Uh, he is much like his sire in terms of his physical stature and, and, and scope. And um, but his constitution mentally of allowing himself to relax is the key to be able to get the 10 furlongs. And, um, and I think that's his greatest asset. I want to talk very specifically about him versus Forte and the trips in the, in the Florida Derby and what, what you saw there with those two. Cause I think it's one of those fascinating things about trip handicapping that you can talk about, you know, which one of them had the tougher go of things and you, and you can kind of argue it either way. I mean, to me, I was super impressed with the, 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 not too early, but earlier, you know, wider move there from Mage. And I, I think ultimately the case for Mage to reverse form with Forte is probably tied to the lack of experience that Mage has relative to, you know, Forte, relatively an old pro. Um, you know, the upside with Mage, we obviously haven't seen it yet. But I'm just curious from your point of view what you thought of those two trips. Sure. Uh, I didn't even see Forte on the screen until the last uh, 20 yards. Cause I was just so full cup blinkers in a zone looking at our horse. I'll, I'll tell you this in uh, before the race, Louis asked Gustavo if the horse could take, would have a problem taking dirt. And Gustavo was like, don't worry about it. So if you break, if you happen to break slow or not as sharp, don't panic. Just let the horse relax. And when he broke, when he, when he didn't, when he, when he didn't break, you know, obviously as sharp as we wanted and, Louis didn't rush him and sat there. I think the one thing that post-race if Louis could get back was asking him at the half-mile pole rather than asking him at the three-eighths or maybe in between three-eighths and the quarter, you know, because nobody knew that the horse had that kind of turn of foot. Right. He inhaled the, the whole field from last to first in – within an eighth, you know, and to ask for a young horse to have a four furlong sustained run. I mean, we, we, you, you know, you don't ask of that normally in, in, in in any, in any regard, you know, Um, Louise is, is used to riding horses that you could see that he's at, you know, he is getting into them from five, six furlongs, six furlongs out and have had success in that fashion. But, in a grinding sort of kick. The explosion that this kid had in that eighth to go from last to first would cut everybody off guard. And uh, I think it's all about timing. And the fact that they hadn't tangoed together before um, was just that, you know, that brief, that brief thing. But what was nice was after the gallop out, and, and and I'm not here to say anybody that you know you you don't get any prize money, you don't cash bets for gallop outs. <laughs> but what was nice to see was he kept tugging and pulling after the wire. It's not like Forte Truff by twenty or we switched leads to the wrong lead again and fell to the back. No, he kept tugging, fighting and wanting more ground. He never quit. 
you know, he's a, he's a, he's a fighter. And, uh, and if I could take one thing back, I would just wish that, you know, Louis would have just waited a little longer. I think he would, would have, you know, knew that after the fact, but that's racing, man. I, you, you can't dwell on that stuff. Yeah. You talk about split second decisions and, and especially yeah. with the slow, with the slow break, but it is wild. Even just on the chart, you can see the move you're describing. You don't often see a horse go from, you know, seventh, five lengths behind to, uh, to, to first in one call in at Gulfstream Park. Park. Yeah. And, and yeah, throw in Gulfstream Park. I mean, I have to say, I mean, just to reiterate where I started here, you look at current prices in, in the UK and you see, Best price twenty five to one on Mage versus five to two on Forte. That can't be right. There can't be that much difference between them in price when you watch back those last races and, and, and see how Mage has worked since. So I'm 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 very excited about him, especially at the price that he is. No, I look. I'm 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 super. I couldn't be more respectful of not only Forte the horse, but the connections. Oh my God! Yeah, nothing Todd against is, them. Todd, Todd is the. The hall is a hall of famer. Uh, Mike Rapoli and Vinny Viola are all class, and their contribution to the sport is has been immeasurable. Uh, their advisors are top notch, and you know they they, they have a, a heck of a team. And the horse has done nothing but uh, have a dreamlike career. I mean, he's crushed it all through his two year old season. Won from Saratoga. Um, all through the fall, won the Breeders' Cup, and then came back this year and has, you know, taken every W. So you tip your cap to to a to to a horse who's accomplished that. We all dream of having a horse like that. Uh, I think he's the, the well-deserved favorite, and uh, I won't knock a single thing about Forte. He's he does what he he's so smart. He he knows what he has to do to win. I mean, Silver Charm was that way. Um, just knew where the wire was and knew what he had to do. Uh, from my end, I know I have a young, talented colt that gave him uh, a lot that he could handle, and I know that there's that you know everything has to stay in place. The horse's health, the horse's acclimation to Churchill Downs, uh, another new, another new environment, and all these little things. But if everything can stay in line and keep going as a uh, on a forward trajectory as they've been, you know I know that we have ability and our colt has talent. And that he's going to give another great effort. And is that effort going to be, you know, good enough to beat 19 other horses, including the champ? You know, we'll see. But I'm, I, I have confidence, you know, for sure. It's fantastic to be in this position. That's that's you doing your job. We'll have to do another one, another appearance at some point. Get into your uh, your background, which is fascinating. Growing up around horses, etc. Now I have a decision to make as a host. Do I? For the visual I use for this podcast slash videocast, do I do the professional headshot or I do that shot I have of you uh, slipping across the waterfall when we went uh, hiking during the pandemic? <laughs> what do you, which one do you think I should use? <laughs> do me, save me the embarrassment and, and let's use the professional headshot. Okay. okay, you talked me into it. Ramiro, thank you so much for your time. Godspeed, brother. We'll be talking again soon. PTF, my man. I'll see you up here for sure. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. want to thank all of today's guests, as well as our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing, and of course, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Hey, just a reminder, we got lots of events coming up. You can find the events I'm going to be doing out at Chestnut Hall Farm, including the whiskey tasting on a Tuesday the 2nd and the breakfast on May 4th over at trfinc.org players. We've also got a live event 
in Lexington Wednesday night at Malone's, the event space in Palomar, and also Thursday night at the Galt House. Going to be making sure we publicize those events with links soon. Feel free to reach out to me if you want to secure your tickets for those. Most of all, want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business managers, Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer, Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos!